Hello and welcome to this podcast about how butchers can make small changes to their recipes to improve the health of their products, their customers and ultimately their business. I'm Joanne Burns, the Formulation for Health Manager at Food and Drink Federation Scotland. For those of you who may not know, Food and Drink Federation Scotland is an industry-funded trade association representing food and drink businesses of all sizes, from Scottish family businesses through to global brands. We are a division of the UK Trade Association, the Food and Drink Federation. As Reformulation for Health Manager, I work to support Scottish SME food businesses make their products healthier, and this includes all type of food businesses, and my support is open to all, not just Food and Drink Federation Scotland members. During this podcast, we will be discussing the butchery trade and how we can support butchers to make changes to their products to make them healthier and some of the challenges that this sector faces. I am delighted to be joined today by some key figures in the Scottish butchery sector who I've had the pleasure of working with. We have insights from Gordon King, Executive Manager at Scottish Craft Butchers, Andy Benn, Head of Culinary Development at Foodmaker, part of the Scobian Junior Business, and Tom Courts, Vice President of Scottish Craft Butchers and also Owner Director at Tom Courts Burnt Island Butchers. Hi, I'm Gordon King, Executive Manager of Scottish Craft Butchers. We represent 400 independent butchers in Scotland. Our association is 101 years old, um, so we're looking forward to the future. Hi, I'm Andy Byrne. I'm the Head of Culinary Development at Foodmaker, part of the Scobie and Juna Group. And we develop a whole range of different seasonings and functional ingredients that are used throughout the meat industry um, in manufacturing and for independent butchers. Hi there, my name is Tom Corks and I'm the Vice President of Scottish Craft Butchers and later on this year I'll take over the presidency for a two-year tenure. Aside from that, I'm kept busy as a owner director at Burnt Island Butchers in Burnt Island, which is a small family-run butchers business which has been in existence since 1967 and we've done very well over the years with won many awards and I'm proud to say that I'm a hands-on owner. I'm one of the first in every day and one of the last to leave. That's how it should be. So we'll have a chat today about some of the challenges facing the Scottish butchery sector and how people like yourself can help butchers overcome some of those hurdles and help make their products healthier. Starting with yourself, Gordon, why do you think it's important for Scottish butchers to make some of their products healthier? I think they've got to react to the customer demand and certainly there's much more focus on healthy eating um, and reformulation in general is in the news quite a lot. Um, even just recently I see their government are going to recommend, their doctors are going to recommend cycling to patients who need to lose weight. So you know, from that point of view, the, the independent butchers can really show um, that they're, they're adapting to the requirements of uh, society in general and also um, just giving what the customers are demanding. Gordon, I think that's something that we've all seen, especially over the last few months, that there is a, a customer need and there's a demand for food businesses to rise to that challenge. Tom, have you seen many changes in customer expectations for healthier products in your butchers? Well, the reformulation is something that's been in vogue for a number of years now, and we were fortunate to be involved at an early stage, um, and we we actually developed some products then, uh, reformulated them uh, on that on that basis. And yes, I concur with what Gordon says. Customer expectations nowadays have changed somewhat, and, and people are really buying into this and you know, the healthy eating uh, aspect of things. So yes, it is a, a a way forward for our trade. You know, something we should be embracing. 
hopefully having Andy um, on the podcast, he'll be able to give us some top tips on how he can help and support um, Scottish butchers and butchers across the UK to make their products healthier. But can I just ask you, Andy, what do you think are the key nutrients that butchers need to focus on to improve the health of their products? Obviously, reformulation is such a, a wide and all-encompassing um, area of work. What key types of nutrients do you think butchers need to focus on to make their products healthier? I think that, um, as you say, there's quite a, a wide range at the moment, especially with the impact of COVID-19, which has brought through um, consumers looking for more immunity-enhancing products that they can use to you know, fight off infections and keep healthy. I think that there's definitely reducing salt in products. It's linked with good heart health. Also, increasing the amount of fibre in products as well, whether that be by adding in vegetables to mixers or creating some kind of flexitarian style products or creating ready meals that the consumer can take home and eat, which are of a healthy nature, where you've got an amount of the meat in there as well as the vegetables as well, offering a healthy sort of ready meal for them to make at home. And I think that the immunity side of it is starting to come through a lot more now, where people are actually looking to get more health benefits out of the food than ever before. I think people are now looking at all the different aspects that food can bring to somebody's diet. So it's great that you've mentioned about reducing salt and increasing fibre and fruit and veg. And I'm assuming from a butcher's perspective, if you're adding more fruit and veg to a ready type meal to take away, that must also have some beneficial cost implications. Would that be it, it does in some cases, yes, it can help the, the margin considerably uh, rather than just say, for example, you know, a, a meat based dish. If it's meat and vegetables, it's uh, yes, it does become more profitable for us, albeit these meals are time consuming to prepare. So there, there is a balance to be made there. You know, but uh, we find that we are preparing more and more of these, and uh, people like Andy say uh, the firm that Andy uh, represents uh, they bring out some fantastic recipes that we could follow. Great, that's good to hear. We also got to remember that people buy with their eyes, um, so the more colourful and balanced that a product looks, the more attractive it becomes. It's not always just about the just the meat covered with a spice or a seasoning or a marinade. It's, it's got to look attractive in the first place. I think I'd, like the rainbow of different colours that you can you can add to a dish does make it a lot more enticing to customers, especially where, as we all know, within a family, you can have a whole range of different products and, and tastes and flavours that people like. So it's great having all that um, flexibility there by adding in all the fruit and vegetables too. In terms of, we've covered salt, we've covered fruit and veg, what would you do as a butcher to reduce the fat content of some of your products, Tom? Well, I've done that already with some of my products. We, we, we've got a, a low fat range of sausages and burgers, which are very, very popular. And it's just a case of adjusting the, the recipe accordingly, reducing the fat content down in most cases to 5% or less. And you could you, you could actually benefit with that yourself by advertising that fact. You've got Facebook there, you put it on the counter ticket or, or, or on the, the label and the, the packaging. And like Gordon says, people buy with their eyes, they read these things and say, oh, that's less than 5% fat, I'll, I'll take that. And we always get good feedback on these things. I've, I've, of all the, the low fat products I sell, I've never had any negative commentary whatsoever. Problem that butchers had in the past was that to to go low fat was removing fat, and then the pro problem there was the product would then become dry and uh, sort of rubbery in texture. It wasn't a very nice eat. So the the idea of substituting something else in there to give it the moisture and and re retain the texture that you didn't want it to be, 
um, that that's a educational program that the butchers have had to go through. We've um, we've worked on a, a range of seasonings where we can add in a fat replacer and we use inulin as a fat replacer. So that as Gordon and Tom have both been saying, you get the mouthfeel that you're looking for, but with the reduced fat. So it tastes succulent. It's not too dry. And the inulin is high in dietary fibre anyway, so you're actually adding fibre in there as well, which helps the butchers offer a really good premium product. Yeah, inulin's a fantastic product. So I'm right in thinking it's from chicory root, so it's a very clean label yeah. product. Yeah. Perfect. So, Tom, you've said that you you already offer a range of low-fat sausages and burgers and things like that. Was that something, that you, a direction you chose to take your business down? Or was, was that from consumer demand? Did you find some customers were coming into the shop asking for some of these products? I'd say a bit of both. It's, it was driven, I think, primarily through organisations such as Slimming World. People that were going there and coming back to me and saying, can you make this for us? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, yes, we will. We will. And, you know, I, I like a bit of experimental cooking, as you say. And as I say, it always results in either the, from the horrific to the terrific <laughs> and everything in between. You know, so yes, over over the years we 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 have done that, and uh, that's how we've developed our range. Perfect, and that's that. I mean, it's about taking the opportunity and and meeting the demand of what your what your consumers are are wanting, but also diversifying, doing something different to the rest, and and making sure you've got those products there. Now, looking at the ingredients, Andy, that you provide to Scottish butchers, can you give an example of a type of product that you would recommend butchers to use that would have a, a broad impact across a lot of different product ranges? We've got a, our gluten-free rusk that we use, which is a pea protein. I've used, I, I have played around and tested with this product to the nth degree. And I, I think it's a fantastic product because you can use it as a rusk in your burgers and your sausages and your meatballs. It keeps its moisture and it's also got a little bit of protein in there as well. And then I've also used it as a coater. So to try and, and sort of help the butchers as much as it can, I've done a lot of development to get the most out of it. So rather than it just being a one trick pony that, you know, you can use it in your sausages, your burgers, I've used it as a coater. And we've also used it in conjunction with our seasonings to give you a flavoured coater. And we've even coloured it so that you can use it on your, you know, your hams. So you've got a breaded ham, which is gluten-free as well. I think it's great. I've used it as a coat. Sometimes you find that they can colour too quickly or they don't colour at all. This one colours perfectly, you know, when it's fried or cooked. And it keeps its crunch. So I'd say that that is a one of our, definitely one of our wins that we've found. Andy, am I right in thinking it's not only a gluten-free rust, but it's also no salt, higher fibre, higher protein? Some other yeah. benefits like that? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it gives that allergen-free tick in the box, which I know, know um, Gordon and Tom probably experience, you know, day to day. People coming in with the asking about, you know, allergens and dairy-free, gluten-free. I think in the past that, you know, a gluten-free replacement for rust tended to be rice flakes, isn't mm. it? Um, so there's, that's good to hear there's more options here now. And, and I think... On an eating quality as well, it really does work. It works well, definitely, with the mouthfeel and the bite that you get. Can I ask, in a practical sense, Andy, if, um, say, Tom or another butcher out there was thinking I might start using that product, do you need to make any alterations to how you use the rusk? 
from a, a practical usage, no, you can use it exactly the same way as you use a normal rusk. I've, I've tested it out by sometimes pre-soaking the rusk a little bit, sometimes not. And to be brutally honest, it is robust. You can use it exactly the same way that you use a normal rusk. I'd obviously say that you'd have to do a full clean down, you know, if you were using a gluten-containing product before you made it to make sure that you, you know, you're adhering to the rules. Yeah. So that's a perfect example for one product that somebody could swap that would have quite a large impact on their products across the range. That's quite interesting yeah. to hear how, how easy that could possibly be. I think, and to be fair, in, in years gone by, maybe butchers have been a bit reticent to, to swap to these products, thinking that would change the flavour, the profile of, of the finished product. But from what you're saying, Andy, then obviously a straight replacement, it's, it's not going to have any changes on the end product. No. We've, we've tested it across the whole range um, from sausages to meatballs to burgers and coaters, as I've said, and we found it, it. You can't really tell the difference at all. That's great to hear. And I know I did a wee piece of work looking at a, another Scottish butcher who had swapped to using a similar product. And I think the end result in their sausages was something like a 16% reduction in salt, which is amazing by just swapping one product. Mm the kind of impact you can have in your local community by swapping that one rusk across all your different all the different product ranges that use it okay so can i just ask yourself gordon have you noticed any other increases or albeit maybe decreases in the demand for healthier products as we've moved through the covid pandemic what's happened with our members is that they've really stepped up to the plate so you know they've, they've adapted to the individual customer rather than just a a one size fits all you know there's customers out there who needed home deliveries some would only want collection because of various reasons health reasons so equally you know the the adaptability of the independent butcher to be able to make a product and design it for an individual diet in small batches is unique in a way that that other bigger multiples can't do in the same way so you know the products will be on an individual basis between each butcher it may be that you know, a dietary requirement is that it's got to have less fat for a reason. So a butcher can go and do that quite quickly and make a small batch enough for that individual customer or their family or their household. Butchers are always adapting anyway and, and listening to trends, watching what's going on and just listening to the customer. You must have seen, when you were all talking about um, like all your backgrounds and length of your businesses, quite a lot of changes over the years in, in butchery in Scotland. What main things have you seen that have changed, Tom? Obviously, we've mentioned things like gluten-free and allergens. What would you see are the main drivers now? Well, if you go back, I started in the trade in 1983 as a Saturday boy with my father. I was 13 at the time and I joined the business uh, three years later. And I wouldn't have known back then what an allergen was. And you, the first memory I've got of anybody mentioning an allergy was a peanut allergy. And uh, over the years, it's become more and more common different types of allergens and you've got to you've got to feel for these people and uh, you know you've got to say to yourself well we have to make these changes and make products that suit everybody not just you know people that uh, don't have allergies ah, it's been a real evolution i must say in our trade you know from the time that i started over 30 years ago to where we are now what about yourself gordon what do you think have been the main changes you've you've witnessed from your days working in the butchers to now being executive manager I think probably it is, I just sort of said earlier, it's adapting to the customer demand, um, keeping tuned into what they're expecting of you. 
uh, and staying one step ahead of it, I remember when Butcher's and Tom said he's been in the trade 30 years, I think I'm probably the same. You know, something simple like a stir fry was a completely alien product to a lot of customers who traditional stew, mince, uh, sausages, and that was pretty much it for the week, a roast at the weekend. But even nowadays, a roast takes on a new level. It's It's got to have different things added to it, um, spicy seasonings just to make it a bit different. Who would have known what a spatchcock chicken was, for example, uh, 25 years ago? It was unheard of. Um, a crown roast of lamb was something that was just for the elite. Nowadays, people are, are, are looking to that and going, yeah, I want to try it. The, the, the confidence in the individual person to try something new uh, is there that wasn't there before. It was always, we did what we always did and our family did in the past. We made the traditional meals. Yeah, it's been an evolution, definitely. It's funny you mentioned spatchcock chickens there, Gordon. We we did a wee promotion on was it Friday, Saturday there, and we sold over 40 spatchcock chickens, but each one had a, there was about six different flavours available, but they were all gluten-free flavours. And, you know, by 11.30 on Saturday morning, we had none left for sale. <laughs> was it was it a lovely just, sunny day? Did everyone have their barbecue? Yeah, well, it was, but just like Gordon says, I, I wouldn't have known what a spatchcock chicken was back in 1986. A chicken was a chicken. You stuck it in the oven, you brought it back out, and you ate it with roast potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> Prehistoric. Yeah. We've heard a wee bit about how we've developed over the years and kind of up to where we are now. Where do you see the butchery craft moving in the future, Andy? What new innovative ingredients? new avenues that butchers are, are beginning to move down at the moment? I think that um, with the way that we've changed since COVID-19 has come along, there's definitely a move towards having more immunity benefits to the food that we're getting. So we need to be shouting out about them because a lot of the products that we are already stocked in the butchers have got health benefits to them. It's about pulling them out and making the consumer more aware of them. I've also seen um, at the moment I've been working with um, Aberdeen seaweed, believe it or not, um, we're incorporating that in. I predominantly started working on it with some seafood, make alternative burgers that have got a health connotation to them. And the health benefits from the seaweed are huge, especially with thyroid regulation and also the amount of iodine that you get from it. And so I've got them started to work with that, incorporating that as also into some of our Southeast Asian seasonings. Um, as a replacement for the fish sauce element that you would normally have in, say, a Thai or um, some of the other Southeast Asian cuisine dishes that we do. I can definitely see this getting more and more prevalent with looking for health benefits from the food, and it'll definitely be with the butchers coming through there. And I think you mentioned earlier, um, I think it was yourself, Andy, about flexitarianism. Do you begin, are you beginning to see, or even Tom and Gordon, more people looking for a kind of mixture of diets when they come into the shops? Well, where I am, I'm quite lucky. I mean, we, 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 there's a three businesses in Burnt Island and they're nicknamed the Food Triangle. And that's, I'm part of that. There's the butchers and right across the road is the fishmonger. And right next door to the fishmonger is an independent greengrocers. So there is a great balance here. And, and a, there's a new uh, um, sourdough bakery open just two doors up as well from them as well. So we've got a cracking balance of, you know, these artisan foods for for people to choose from. And uh, Burnt Island, I must say, is, is like a traditional high street now, like how it used to be many years ago. Um, we've not seen the decline that most high streets have in recent years. We've actually seen an uplift in, 
you know, and for my own trade, COVID-19, I suppose, I mean, I like to be busy, but not in these circumstances. It's, it's given us a bit of a, a boost, and uh, I think it's, it's something that the trade can benefit from going forward if we embrace, you know, the, the changes that, you know, that we can make. There's definitely be a refocusing of the high street, and as Tom said, the artisan nature of the individual businesses on the high street, especially the food ones. Uh, COVID-19 has certainly done that to a lot of people. Um, you know, just looking at you know Cantar figures there, there was 53 million barbecues in 12 weeks, and you know that in itself, a lot of these ones went to local butcher shops to get the meat for that, and almost a rediscovery of of the local butcher and getting to know them. Not just you know any butcher will actually tell you the biggest frustration is the amount of people who will place their order for the most important meal of the year at Christmas time, and then you never see them again for the rest of the year. Um, Tom, I'm sure I'll agree that the last 14, 15 weeks has been an extended Christmas for for most of the independent butchers. Um, so that, but the other opportunity with that is the fact that they've had a real chance to impress upon these customers, stick with us for the long term, because you know the artisan nature of the individual food businesses in the high street. You're not just buying from from a great big multiple group. You're buying from people who care and take passion in what they're doing. Tom's a Great example of that of, of his own business there. I, th I think the, it's fair to say as well, Gordon, that the, you know people we never used to see before they've, they've, they've refocused and the, you know they've seen what goes on on the high street, you know now and what's available to them. And I have to say, a lot of people have embraced that and have started doing a lot of home cooking with you know base ingredients. And uh, yeah, we've reaped the benefit of that, and it's up to us now to try and keep a hold of these people going forward. Yep, absolutely, Tom. And I think um, you've hit the nail on the head there as well with the one of the main things that I think COVID has, um, people have started to refocus on during COVID is that the, the pleasure in cooking at home and buying good quality Scottish ingredients and making a lovely meal at home rather than going out for a meal. People are maybe refocusing on the the, the good sides of maybe making a lovely meal at home with, with good products. Have you, do you think that as well, Gordon? I think you're absolutely right with what you say there, but I think even from my own experiences that um, cooking at home can become a family event. Um, yes. I have never spent so much time with my wife and daughter in the kitchen. <laughs> uh, you know, never fall out, but it's been interesting to see my daughter become interested in cooking because um, she was the takeaway kid. I have to say that she's she's all of a sudden interested, and in, we've got her eating things like beef olives and stews and not just barbecue stuff so you know she's and she's only 21 so that is where i think the great hope is that these mm -hmm. younger generations have rediscovered um good local quality food um and also the fact that they can, they can cook confidently with it with just a little bit of knowledge and build that confidence and knowledge as they go along yeah and i'm right in thinking as well through the craft butchers and obviously through scobie and junior as well you have the, the public can access a range of recipes and things like that too, that you can, families and, and maybe people lacking the skills for cooking at home can access. We've got um, our own YouTube page with all the videos on that we've been making. Obviously during lockdown, um, we had to change the way that we worked slightly. So I made whole club videos um, to give inspiration and ideas to uh, butchers about how to get the most out of the seasonings and multiple uses for the different marinades and sauces that we have. Um, and anyone can access them. 
we took the opportunity with our promotional posters that go out to the uh, butcher shops that we put in the QR codes that had links to our website. And on there, we have the recipes uh, for the barbecue summer posters that we put out. It wasn't just uh, how to cook a steak, it was also how to have a safe barbecue, but equally we had uh, healthy uh, recipes for salads, sides and sauces. I would just like to say thank you to the Food and Drink Federation for the support they gave us. Uh, and we have noticed that people have been you know, getting hits on those uh, on the website for that, which has been a, a really good addition to the, the personal service that the independent butcher can give. I was just thinking that, Gordon, it's not just about going in and buying the piece of meat. There's the bespoke service, whether it's for allergens, whether it's for a certain specific dish someone's wanting to have made, but also the health aspects, recipes, cooking techniques. Is there any other um, promotional techniques that Scottish butchers in general can use to help promote healthier options and the different steps that they can take in their stores? Most of them have video screens um, or a screen on the front of their scales that they can use to, to kind of advertise different ways of looking at how you eat things, how you buy things. Tom has a very good one. I'll let him explain that one. Yeah, it's uh, it is quite good. It sits sort of in the, on the wall, right in the centre of the shop, and it catches the eye when you, when you come in the door. Put on special offers and bits and pieces, and uh, the company that run it. Uh, change the the sort of theme of of the background every so often, whether it be seasonal, whether it's Christmas, Easter, summer, barbecue. They go in and they make it really fancy. They're, they're, they're obviously digital experts far more than than I. I also think that the, the the best way to get things over to your customer is actually getting to know your customer, and that's part and parcel of being in a, a high street business. And uh, I like it when I go into a shop if I'm a repeat customer, if the person behind the counter has taken an obvious interest and recognises you again. Mm -hmm. And that's something I always try and impress my staff. Get to know your customers, get to know them by their first name and welcome them as such. And that's a, the easiest and the best way to engage with someone. And then you take it from there and then you start buying things and you can give advice and they'll ask you. And it's a real icebreaker when you know someone's name and they get to know you. And that adds a personal touch to it as well. And that gives, a, a, to my mind, a far better shopping experience. And I think it encourages the person to come back into your shop. I think great customer service, especially when you walk into a shop and they remember your name or they remember the types of products that you like to buy or your family and things like that. It's, that's what makes people go back. That's a great tip for, for butchers out there looking at customer service um, skills. Is there anything else? I mean, do you ever look at doing um, promotions or meal deals and things like that to try and drive customers towards healthier options? Because obviously, from the perspective of the Reformulation for Health programme, we'd much rather people were steered towards maybe your lower fat sausages or lower salt burgers and things like this. Is there any mechanisms that you can use within your store to try and drive people towards these products? Yeah, well, we use uh, social media quite extensively for advertising of products. And there's been many occasions in the past where have we, you know, first thing on a Saturday morning, when the equipment is, is, is fresh from the night before, has been cleaned down, we'll maybe make some gluten-free products or, or low-fat products, and you line them up on a table, nice a nice pattern, take a photograph of it, stick it on social media, and within a couple of hours, it's all sold. And I suppose that's people buying with their eyes again, isn't it? <laughs> it's buying with their eyes. It's also you know them engaging with you on social media, and you could put a wee caption or ask them if they you know, try this and let us know what you think of it, and it, it gives you your feedback as well. You know, years ago, I would just advertise in the local press, and it would be once a week, and uh, it cost me a fortune. You could never gauge how effective it was. Social media is a great tool for us now. You can get all sorts of data back, 
and you really see you know you know how, how your product's doing and again it's further engagement with your customers yeah and i suppose almost driving that um demand for products i'm sure when you were doing your spatchcock chickens it was we've only got 10 yeah. left that's it they're all gone and you can you can engage with your customers immediately rather than people maybe going i'll wait till five o'clock to go down to get one they can at least see that they've already missed <laughs> I remember one post in particular, and I can't remember the product, but we reached seven to two thousand people with one post. Wow! So that's 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 the that, you know that's what you can do with the social media. It's amazing. Yes. It I think people maybe sometimes don't realise the opportunity that social media can give them um, in driving their business and driving customers to their shops. It's it's a it's a great opportunity. In terms of promotions and things like that, driving customers towards products. Did you notice a change, Tom or um, Andy and Gordon? I'd love to hear your input on this as well. In terms of labelling products as healthier, did you straight away, Tom, label your sausages and burgers as lower fat or lower salt? Or did you just make the changes kind of health by stealth and not let people know that they were? No, we did, we, we, we did it right away. Let right people here. know exactly what they're buying and, and actually use that as an incentive for people to buy it. Yep. And there's no point not telling them. No. You know, yeah. and again, you'd like if you're telling people as well, you're also engaging with them and asking for their opinion on the product. Mm -hmm. You know, come back to me and let me know. Let me know what you think about this lower salt product. What yeah. you thought of it? Is it a different taste? Is it just as good? Will you buy it again? Yeah. What about yourself, Angie? Do you think in terms of product development and moving forward, do you see standard core ingredients having the salt and fat and gradually reduced to that impacts on the so-called normal ranges? Do you think that's something that the trade needs to move towards? I think that um, you know, reducing down the salt is definitely something that you can promote out there. Because we we work with the independent butchers as well as we work with the manufacturers for retail. And so we have to work with our seasonings to the retail guidelines, which we do. And that's the kind of thing that if you're getting it across within retail, they use the traffic light system, don't they, on the front of the pack. And a lot of people do look at that when they're selecting their products. So it's definitely worth promoting that on the packs that butchers are selling, whether it be low salt, whether it be low fat, whether it be higher in fiber, whether it be higher in protein. And as we see in the trends that are coming through, like you touched on earlier on with flexitarian, we've seen an increase, and I'm sure you guys have as well, where people are looking for healthier options where you're adding vegetables in to maybe a sausage or a burger. And it's, they're classing it as flexitarian now, um, all the way through to even like meat-free. I've been involved in doing a lot of meat-free development um, around sausages, meatballs, and slices and pies, you name it. Um, and I think that if you can put that on the front of your pack, especially on a flexitarian, even like adding in there the information to the customer that this has got you know 30% added vegetables in, increasing in fibre. It's always a good message to get across. The customers then see it and they can make the choice. What kind of vegetables do you feel work best in a dish like that? If you were, if you to add a veg in to say a sausage or a burger or a meatball, what what would your top three with, be? With a burger, um, do you know what? I'll always veer towards mushrooms. Okay. Um, there's actually a competition in America, um, run by the James Beard Association, where they they have to come up with the best. 45 mushroom burger. So it's a, a beef burger, 45 with mushrooms in there. They run a competition every year in the States for it. And I think it's the kind of thing over here, it, mushrooms have got such a meaty texture. 
especially if you're using ones like oyster mushrooms or even king oyster mushrooms, you get a really good bite. So I'd always tend to go towards adding in mushrooms with a burger because they mimic the meat quite well. And then when it comes down to sausages, again, I'd go visual with these. So you want something to stand out. And so I, I really like beetroot. So by adding in little jewels of beetroot in your sausage mix, maybe with a bit of horseradish, especially if you're doing a beef sausage, stands out really well. And by linking the ingredients that you now work with the meat, you're going to get a winner. So that, like the beetroot works really well with beef and horseradish together in a sausage. You get the little crimson jewels standing out there. I'm getting hungry listening to you, Andy. <laughs> um, and do you know what? I think it's great to hear that there's there's lots of ideas out there because obviously by adding in veg to some of these products, you're reducing fat, you're reducing salt, you're uh, other flavourings like the horseradish and things like that. There's going to be all sorts of different health benefits by being a wee bit more creative in, in, in how the products are made. And you got um, with the mushroom and the burger, you've got the vitamin D from the mushrooms, you see. Yeah. So especially where you know where we don't get a lot of sunshine. <laughs> Not today, we don't, Andy. It's literally rained solidly all day. What about yourself, Tom and Gordon? Have you ever experimented and tried adding any fruits or veggies into any of your products? One of our best-selling burgers is actually steak and spring onion. We sell loads of them. And uh, again, we, as far as pork are concerned, we do a very nice pork and apple burger. You know, as, but you know they. Yeah, certainly the, the steak and spring are very popular uh, during the summer with barbecues. And again, it, it does it reduces the meat content, increases the margin, and it's uh, a terrific tasting burger. We have just uh, completed our speciality sausage and speciality uh, burger evaluations. And while I can't tell you who the winners are, I do know. <laughs> but the, even in the finalists, there was some, you know, some really quite wonderful variations on the theme. You know, uh, saw quite a lot with, with carrot. Uh, in it to, uh, and beetroot as already mentioned what we saw was the butchers were listening to what they thought the customers were going to need uh, it, they were anticipating what the customers were going to need or going to be asking forward for going forward mm -hmm. um, so we can see where the trends are going it's coming away from uh, traditional just a fancy sausage is a Cumberland sausage um, no we're looking at things like uh, we did have a beef and strawberry jam. Uh, we had a pork and marmalade. Now that's maybe not what you're looking for for healthy options, but um, it just shows you the, the, the imaginations going out there. Uh, and certainly the, the winning ones will impress. I'm not saying anymore. <laughs> I'm excited to hear. I'm excited to hear what the what the final It'll be announced uh, announced on Friday. Okay. I will I will wait and see with bated breath. If you could give one piece of advice to a butcher or another food business who are listening to the podcast and are thinking, I really should start making some changes to make my products healthier, and what would it be? First of all, listen to what your customer's asking for because they will drive the demand. Uh, and any business should be listening to their customer. Keep using your imagination to come up with different things, because you never know something that sounds odd to you might sound absolutely fantastic to uh, a customer. And equally, it will tick a lot of healthy option boxes. Um, you might be surprised as how many people are out there who are looking for something with much less salt, much less sugar, and much less fat. Um, and 
a lot of the times as well, it's it's we've talked about the fact that customers buy with their eyes, but a lot of the times it's about just letting them try it. Um, you know, have some cooked and just say, please try that and let us know what you think. You'll get the immediate feedback, but you might also get, oh, give me half a dozen of those. Yeah. So, you know, it's just about interaction, about communication and having confidence to just go for it and try to make the changes that your customers are expecting. Perfect. And I think you made a great point there, Gordon. It's not just about your existing customers. It's about the possibility of new customers. There might be people that are going somewhere else for some of their healthier products. So they maybe go to the supermarket because they know they might do a lower fat or a lower salt burger. The best advertising that a butcher can get is word of mouth. So somebody tells someone else, uh, I got a really good burger. It was really healthy. We've, we it, it exceeded our expectations. Then people are nosy enough to want to come and try it. And, and that's your foot in the door. And what about yourself, Andy, from an ingredient manufacturer's perspective? What one piece of advice would you give somebody thinking about making changes to their products? A real simple one would be, as we mentioned, would be the gluten-free rusk. Um, swapping that in, using it as coater as well as through the sausages and the meatballs. Again, reduced fat using the fat replacer as the inulin is a great win. Tastes really good, gives you a great mouthfeel. And then I think just looking at what you're selling, as the guys have already said, and pulling out the health benefits that are already there that might not consumers might not be aware of, you know, about the, the health benefits of the certain ingredients that are in seasonings and marinades that can help boost the immune system and the metabolism. Great point, Andy. And I think it's like you're saying, sometimes people worry about reformulations, adding in artificial things. You're taking out something natural and putting in something artificial, but it's great to hear your the, the no added salt, gluten-free rusks made from pea, fibres, the inulin fat replacement is actually from chicory root, so it's not about adding in something artificial all the time. A lot of these things are really good clean label products. And Tom, finally, from a butcher's perspective, if there's somebody else sitting listening, what advice would you give to them? I'd say to any colleague in the trade or similar trades to have faith in your ability to change mm -hmm. and embrace that change. Um, just because you're using a recipe that your father or indeed your grandfather or great-grandfather used 100 years ago doesn't mean it's a perfect fit for the 21st century. Uh, trends always change and you have to stay on trend you know, to be uh, current. And so that's what I would say to any colleague listening, you know, have faith in your ability to change. What a great sentence to end on. I think that sums it up perfectly. Thanks for listening to this podcast from FGF Scotland. You can find out more about our work. And if you're a food and drink business, how to join us at www.fdfscotland.org.uk.